her life Along with my kids and my lovely wife Taking in the land that the good Lord made And doing the things that make this country great Doing my part to keep the things in line Respecting the land that's yours and mine No doubt about it, this right here's a good life It's living the hunt life Welcome to the on-air home for the Brotherhood of Hunters Welcome to the Hunt Life Outdoor Show Brought to you by Hunt Life Take aim And now, here are your hosts Jeff Lagerman, Kevin Favor, and Kirk Waltz. Good morning and welcome to Hunt Life Outdoor Show. I'm Jeff Logman along with Kevin Favor and Kirk Waltz. And uh, last weekend, mm-hmm. uh, we're in studio and, and Kevin, uh, you're, uh, you handed me a book. I did. In the studio last week and the book is entitled Shark Man of Cortez. Yep. And, and uh, your partner in the television show that you have on the Pursuit Channel, Tells from the Outdoors, Brad Decker, mm-hmm. had had an opportunity to meet a man uh, in Florida who, I guess was on the cutting edge of shark fishing way back in the, in the mid late sixties. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, I gotta be honest with you. You and Kirk are both charter captains. Uh, I'm a diehard fisherman. Right. And I love reading books about fishing. And so last Saturday, one week ago, I started reading this book, Shark Man of Cortez by Captain Bill Goldschmidt. And I have not been able to put this thing down in the week's time. And I'm almost there. Yeah. I'm almost done. Right. And I have been thoroughly entertained, and I was excited that Brad was able to get Captain Bill Goldschmidt on the show with us today. And without further ado, let's welcome in Captain Bill Goldschmidt. Good morning, Captain Bill. How you doing, folks? We're doing very good. Hey, I have thoroughly enjoyed reading your book. And uh, if folks want to follow along while we're you know and learn more about you, the the website SharkmanofCortez.com, and and uh, this is really a story of your life. Fishing for sharks starting back in what, 1967? Is that correct? When you were a young man, 16 years old, just packed your bags and left Pittsburgh and went to Florida? That's, that's pretty much it. Uh, basically, I uh, got tired of the snow and, uh, and the dirty coal, coal mines and all that. Just decided I wanted to get down here to Florida where it had the beautiful sunshine and clear water and white sandy beaches and girls in bikinis. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you moved to Florida, I mean, I can see the the sand and the sun and certainly the bikinis. Uh, what really propelled you into shark fishing? Uh, the shark fishing kind of came a little bit later. I uh, I was always fascinated with aquariums. Uh, you know, being from Pittsburgh, everything I saw was uh, through glass. I didn't really get the do the kind of stuff that all the local Florida boys did, and I was attracted to that. That's why I wanted to come down here. So when I got down here, the first thing I actually did was uh, started with uh, snorkeling uh, and spearfishing. Mm-hmm. And and sharks, holy cow! I mean, I, I, I'm much like you in that you know I came from Virginia. Uh, when I came to Florida, you know, and I got to see, I think my my first yeah. real batch of sharks, Kevin, it was with you, and we sure. were behind a shrimp boat as they're dumping their bycatch, and, and all of a sudden when they dumped the bycatch, I mean, the number of sharks that we saw that day were like, holy cow. But you started shark fishing, and, boy, you talk about up close and personal. You're, you're not going after these sharks with rod and reel. You did it handlining sharks. Well, what happened was, uh, like I said, I, I, I started working with some fishermen. That's what I wanted to do, and I wanted to work gill nets. That's what everybody used were, were, were the uh, gill nets. 
and of course crab traps. And what got started with the sharks was uh, uh, the captain I worked with said that the shark meat was the best bait in the crab traps. It was firm, uh, not, it didn't get pulled apart by all of the little fish. So consequently, if we used shark meat in the crab traps, we caught you know, more crabs. So uh, and there was nobody commercially catching you know, sharks. I mean, basically. Uh, the uh, commercial, findus, uh, commercial fishing industry had died out uh, in the early 60s, actually. So uh, uh, the few sharks that were caught were the, the bycatch in the uh, eel nets. So I took it upon myself to try to get out there and catch bigger ones so that I could supply the meat for uh, you know other crabbers. So that's really how I got started, guys. And, and, and I'm curious, Captain Bill, my, my name's Captain Kevin Favor. I'm a charter captain uh, out of St. Augustine, Florida. And and when and when I read that part about the book, I, I found that interesting. And maybe I'm assuming that uh, you know, living living in this era, there are so many people now that that shark fish, you know, and 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 there's so many people that that enjoy you know eating them. I mean, you know, obviously the the limits are very strict. But when whenever you talked about that, whenever you were making your living at that time, you know, working on a crab boat and 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 they were using. You know, different types of bait and, and they, and, and they all assumed that, you know, shark meat was the best bait. Why, why weren't there more people shark fishing? I mean, was it simply for the fact that they were intimidated by them or they just didn't know how to catch them? I was just kind of curious, you know, because I mean, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm very good friends and so is Captain Kirk. I'm very good friends with crabbers around here. I mean, we, we deal with these guys every day. Um, and, Kirk, do you know any of them that use shark meat for, no. for, for bait? I don't either. And, and so I, I was Not just kind of curious. No, they, don't, they, don't, they don't use it anymore. This, this, this was something that they had to be taught, really. Uh, some of the crabbers, the smart ones, like, you know, I don't, I don't want to step on anybody's egos here. You, you're going to deal with this in fishing, sportsmen and, and all that. But the, but the, the successful crabbers did use the, uh, the, uh, shark meat, uh, uh, when I eventually got to Cortez, uh, I had a hard time trying to convince crabbers to use shark meat in the, in the Cortez area because they were pushed to, you know, the, the, the guys that ran the fish houses wanted to use up all their fish heads and stuff like that. So they right. pretty much pushed this as the uh, recognized bait, or uh, actually even chickens. A lot of times the slaughterhouses that had the uh, uh, chickens that the, it, it were spoiled, the uh, they could get them at a good price. It was really having to educate a lot of, of, of uh, crabbers. The smart ones, like I said, knew this, uh, that uh, shark meat worked, but, uh, but uh, you know, the others, you know, they just followed with what they were right. told to use. Now, you, now you wow. actually talk, I, Bill, you actually talk about in the book a little bit about that you worked with the uh, uh, marine lab, the moat lab, and that... Uh, you were actually catching the sharks and keeping them alive in open water pens. That, you know, as, as a hunting show and as all hunters and of course Kevin and I are charter boat captains. This is Captain Kirk, by the way. That intrigues me because Kevin and I, we, we have a lot of respect for an animal that can turn around and take your hand off. You know, sharks. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I learned early on. I mean, uh, we, we had to deal with sharks a lot. Uh, Especially when we were working kill nets, I mean, sharks could come in there and just tear a tear a twenty thousand dollar net and, and and destroy it. And I mean, they, they would destroy our catch. 
and they were quick uh, when you would watch them. I mean, it was like uh, a dog, if you pulled its tail, it would turn around and bite. I mean, you learn, you, when you're around these animals, you learn uh, to respect them quickly. I mean, uh, you know, they're a formidable adversary, so you got to be careful. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that goes without saying. Uh, as far as catching them live, though, that, that again, that, that came about uh, a little bit later. I used to bring in uh, small sharks for Eugenie Clark. Uh, she's kind of a, you know, she's aging now, but at the time she was uh, uh, quite famous for her book, uh, Lady in the Spear, I think it was. And uh, uh, when I found out that, uh, well, even the sharks that she got, the, the, the larger ones, uh, she had to go to a fisherman. She actually confided in me one time that, that when people started contacting her and wanting to study sharks, she didn't know how to catch them. She had to go get a local uh, uh, local salt. Uh, I think his name was Earl Chadwick or Earl Chadwick, and uh, he would go out and catch the sharks for her. Uh, I got fascinated by it because, uh, you know, they were just fun to catch. I was always fascinated with them, so I figured, you know, uh, uh, you know that was just another aspect of, uh, you know, I caught and killed them anyway, so why not catch some of them and try to keep them alive? So... That's a whole story in itself. Yeah, I'm sitting here and I'm going, wait a minute. You know, I thought that'd be fun to catch sharks live. Yeah. And most people are going, are you kidding me? Because, you know, Bill, uh, reading your book, and this is Captain Bill Goldschmidt. He's got a book, Shark Man of Cortez. But I'm reading this book and I'm, I'm reading stories about you catching sharks that are 14 plus feet that are, are known manies and you're catching them live. I'm going, this guy's crazy. In, in the middle of rainstorms yeah. and lightning storms, it, and I'm like going, and, just, and, just, and, just let it go. And Bill, holy cow! I mean, the boats that you first started out with, and we were talking 16 foot boats, and then uh, there's a story in there about an, a bass boat, and the thing is barely <laughs> sitting above waterline. I mean, I'm going, wow. Well, I always had the. Uh... I was always pretty much a strange fellow at a young age. <laughs> <laughs> well, of, hey, now wait a minute. Well, really? <laughs> a lot of people didn't. Uh, a lot of people didn't hang out with me a lot. I was pretty much a loner, and uh, I did the uh, did things my way. And I was pretty, uh, you know, pretty hard to get along with, really. And uh, basically, I felt comfortable out there by myself. I didn't have the money to to uh, to afford really large boats. So, I mean, it was basically I used what I could get. I mean, uh, when I first started bringing the sharks in on a long line, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people, they, they a lot of the old salts, you know, kind of were putting uh, wages on how long I'd be around. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I proved them all wrong. Well, you know, looking at, at your, your bio, I, I'm of the same era that you are a little bit. You know, you, you're a couple years older than me, but you and I grew up around the same era. And a which, lot of people. Which was, you know, late 60s. That's right. And hey, that, there's a hey, lot of things going on at that time. It was a lot of things going on. You know, you could call us hippies or whatever you wanted to call us, it, but there was a certain school Did you of have thought. as much hair and sideburns as Captain Bill? That's all I want to know. <laughs> I got, I got pictures of me with hair. You guys would go, y'all would start laughing. Y'all go, unbelievable. Okay. All right. That, that you wouldn't recognize me, but it's funny. A lot of, a lot of folks in that, that day and time, there was a, a mystique about sharks. At least for me growing up as a kid, I, I grew up on, in Cocoa Beach a little bit as a young man and spent a lot of time down there going to school and we would shark fish off the beach and we'd take these giant fishing rods and these sand spikes and put them on the beach and set up an umbrella and a cooler full of beer and we'd sit there and people walk by all day long and go, that rod is way too big for fishing here in the surf. And we go, no, it's not. 
And you'd sit there for five hours, and all of a sudden the rod would double over, and you'd have a nine-foot bull shark on there, and you'd clear the beach. <laughs> People for yeah, a half yeah, a mile yeah. would come running going, that's insane. You know, and then the cops probably well, told us to do that. They had a pretty good shark club back in the 70s here in Venice. A good friend of mine, Bob Hughes, used to be the president of that. And they, uh, they, uh, you know, hunted sharks from the beach, uh, the Venice Fishing Pier and, uh, and uh, Office E beaches. And, uh, and gradually they, they started using boats. They got a little bit more, uh, um, see, uh, fishing for them with boats. I don't really consider the, yeah, that's, that's, a matter of opinion. Some people like fishing for sharks uh, from a boat, but uh, uh, rod and reel. But uh, I, I think the guys with the real balls are the ones that uh, go after them from the beach, from a fixed object, because it's really man against beast. I mean, uh, you know, if you've ever tackled some of these big sharks uh, from the beach, I mean, you get pulled in. If your if your gear is stout enough, you'll get pulled into the water. That's that's a real battle. Whereas when you're in a boat, you know you're Chasing the fish down, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt anybody's ego, but you know that's just my feeling on it. Now, Kevin and I are both charter boat captains. We always tell people, look, you got to respect these animals. Number one, a shark is incredibly strong. Number two, they have no bone, so it's all cartilage. They can do a complete donut, head to tail. People don't realize Absolutely. that. When you're handling yeah. them to put them in a live pen, that's a dicey manipulation right there well and, well, and, was- and captain bill uh hold that thought because we're going to take a break here on the hunt life outdoor show and when we come back we want to hear what it's like to hand line absolutely a live shark back to the boat and bring it back to shore live and it's we're talking here with captain bill goldschmidt who is the author of the book shark man of cortez go to the website sharkmanofcortez.com and you can read about captain bill and we'll have more with captain bill right after this on the hunt life outdoor show As a deer hunter, I think this happens to us all. You're sitting in your stand and you catch a glimpse of a huge buck. It happens to be the same buck that fills your dreams and your trail cameras. When you saw him during bow season, he was just out of reach. During gun, he was chasing a doe and moving too fast. You've done everything possible to take this buck. You've moved stands, moved trail cameras. You've taken time off work you shouldn't have. You even missed your niece's wedding. This buck consumes your thoughts. As a matter of fact, there's times when your wife is talking to you, and even though you're looking right at her and shaking your head, you're thinking, man, I wish I had to move that stand on the creek bottom and not on that food plot. You hunt day after day, pass up deer after deer, and then it happens. The last day of deer season goes by, and you still have a tag in your pocket. During turkey season, you find his sheds, and your spirits soar. Starting about August, you put out your trail cameras. About two weeks into it, you finally get a picture of it. He is alive and still around. You look at that picture and you say, game on. If this has ever happened to you, you need to be a part of Hunt Life. Visit HuntLife.com. Since the first days at Mossy Oak, we've been about getting close to critters. That's what drove us to create Original Breakup more than 12 years ago. Today we're doing it again with all new Breakup Infinity. Six layers of detail give it great depth of field. 12 years of research give it unequaled effective design. Hey, check it out in stores or online at mossyoak.com. Breakup Infinity from Mossy Oak, America's number one camel pattern, just got better. There was the explosion, and I remember just opening my eyes, and I got both of my legs. I had surgery after surgery, and what's going to happen next? The Wounded Warrior Project said, look, brother, everything's going to be okay. Three months from now, four months from now, a year from now, you'll be fine. 
I don't know if I would be as well adjusted as I am now if it wasn't for them. To learn more, call 1-877-832-6997 or visit woundedwarriorproject.org. And now, back to the Hunt Life Outdoor Show. And it's me, Jeff Logman, along with the captains, Kevin Faber and Kirk Waltz, and we have a special guest today, and it's Captain Bill Goldschmidt, the author of the book, Shark Man of Cortez. And before the break there, Captain Bill, uh, we were asking about what it's like to handline a shark that could weigh as much as, boy, eight times as you. What is that like? It's dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous. Just a little. Uh, you think? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, basically, uh, but like I said, uh, you know, uh, you know, when I was capturing them commercially and killing them, I, I made quick work of them as, uh, as, as soon as they got to the surface with a shotgun. But, uh, bringing them in alive was a different story. I mean, uh, one of you fellows mentioned the cartilage. That was the, uh, that was the, uh, big, you know, difficult situation with sharks. They struggle, so, and they suffer, uh, uh, you know, uh, the trauma of capture that the, their internal organs get damaged because they don't have any uh, real bone structure. So I had to come up with uh, uh, ways of calming them down and getting them to shore uh, without too much stress so that they would survive in a, in a captive environment. Uh, so that's basically, uh, you know, some of the information that I give in the book was the... Uh, pontoon method that I came up with and the yoke method and and whatnot but uh and uh, most of the most of the sharks that I would catch uh you know uh, would die before they would ever reach an aquarium because they are a large animal and they're they're uh, difficult to uh, to maintain in in, in captivity well what, but what do you even do they make it. Uh, and, and Bill, you, you captured sharks live for places such as Marineland, which is close to us in St. Augustine, uh, Mo- Marine Laboratory, Miami yeah, Aquarium, memories of Sea World. I mean, what's the biggest shark that you caught live to deliver to one of these type of places? Well, actually, the biggest ones we brought in was when I worked at the Miami Sea Aquarium down in the off Biscayne. Uh, they had a very large boat with a large live well in there, so consequently when we pulled up sharks, the uh, big sharks on the line, we were able to pull them right through the stern into the uh, live well, and then, of course, when we got to shore, we brought them into a huge uh, shark channel, so we could keep uh, 12, 14-foot tigers, uh, all of the largest bulls, wow. and footers. Uh, but uh, you know, that, that place has become uh, a, a thing of the past, just like marine land, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I got to be honest with you. When I was growing up, I mean, this place, uh, the United States, was uh, land of the free and home of the brave. Uh, over over the uh, last couple uh, decades, we've become land of the lobbyists, home of the special interest, and uh, the outdoorsman's, uh, you know, suffering dearly. Amen. Yeah, we understand. Yep. Hey, one of the things that I think about too, when you tell me about some of these large sharks and you and you having to transport them. I, for one, know that it, and I know Kevin does too, and Jeff. It's very difficult to keep a shark alive because, correct me if I'm wrong, they have to constantly move all the time to breathe, right? Yeah, they do. Uh, most of the sharks have to uh, have to have water come through their uh, mouth and out their gills to uh, 
to survive. But there are certain sharks like the nurse shark, lemon shark. Uh, they can uh, rest motionless on the bottom and still breathe. Uh, so they're the ones that generally become more popular as a as an exhibit. But they're not really the toothy critters that uh, that I'm used to you know, bringing in. Uh, I, Captain Bill, I, since you're the expert, I have a question because Kirk and I catch a bunch of sharks, and 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 people all the time. Hey, what is this? What is that? And there's obviously certain ones that that I know that are that are obvious, and there's other ones that that aren't so obvious to me. And and there's there's two sharks um, that that are interesting to me. One is a black tip, okay, and the other one is a spinner shark. Good evening. Absolutely, we, we uh, the, the spinner sharks are, are fantastic. I mean, is there a difference between a spinner shark and a black tip? And then after that, after you answer that, I want to ask you about a brown shark. But tell me the difference between a spinner shark and a black tip. Well, the spinner shark used to be considered what they called the large black. In in the early days, they called the the two black tips large and small. Well, most people would just think that small, small, large is large, but Really, what, what it really meant was the uh, large black tip was a deeper water shark and came in in cold weather. You guys fish mostly, I assume, on the Atlantic Ocean. Spinners are pretty common, but uh, but during the really summer months, they they, they kind of migrate to uh, to uh, other areas. Uh, the black tip is is the uh, smaller black tip. Actually, rose to uh, eight feet. Some of them. They're uh, they're a summer shark. They're a little bit more robust body. Uh, the the large black tip is more slender, smaller fins, longer pointed nose, and his teeth are actually smaller too. Okay, dude. But they're both uh, they're both good eating. They're excellent uh, sports fish. Uh, they jump a lot when you catch them on a rod and reel. Uh, and, okay, do, uh, do do both of them spin? Uh, well, actually, the larger, the more slender uh, uh, black tip is the one that actually jumps out of the water and spins a lot. The other one will, too, as well, but uh, it's not as acrobatic as the winter black tip. Like I said, the the, the small, the, the more slender uh, pointed nose black tip is caught usually in the fall and winter, okay. early spring, and in the summer months is the other black tip, which is actually caught closer to shore. Okay. All right. One, one, one more question. Uh, Kirk and I and Jeff, all of us here, we, we fish bait pods a lot, you know, pogey pods. Um, yeah. and, and, and there's, there is a particular shark you, Kirk and I have, we, for the last four or five years been kicking ourselves because we don't know what the shark is. But when I was reading your book, you talked about a brown shark and then you said That's something, hard. said something, yeah, very peculiar. You said, I don't understand why they call, a grayish blue shark, brown, and and it hit me that this shark that that Kirk and I are catching it 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 almost seems like it has a more of a of a mako shark mako mouth type, you know the real protruding teeth, but it's a bluish gray shark that that I don't know what it is. Is that a brown shark? Is that what we're is is that what I would consider a brown shark? Well, it's it's really tough to tell. It's hard for me to de- uh, determine what you're describing if I ha- can't really see it. Right. But the, but the brown shark. Uh, another thing that's really deceptive about the sandbar brown shark is uh, uh, along the Atlantic coast uh, they do seem to be more gray, uh, dark gray in color. Even uh, some of the der- dermal denticles actually give a little bit of a blue tint to them. 
Whereas uh, uh, yeah, the sandbar shark, the same shark caught in the Gulf of Mexico a lot of times will be brown, uh, brown in color because of the uh, uh, the, uh, the color of the, the, the bottom of the seafloor. I mean, they actually okay. uh, change color depending on where they're caught, but the, the, they're really identifiable by the large dorsal fin on their back and then long pectoral fins on the first pectoral fins on their side. That's that's it. That's that's what their it's looking. Their upper teeth are triangular. Their upper teeth are triangular in shape, smaller than a bull shark's, and their lower teeth are pointed. Yep, Captain Again, Bill. Smaller than a bull shark. Captain Bill, uh, we got a, a little less than three minutes here before we have to take our next break. You know, Shark Week on Discovery has become a huge attraction. Uh, yeah, thing for fruits and nuts. Well, <laughs> 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 yeah, expand on that a little bit. What do you mean by well, that? Well, basically, basically, a shark week in the beginning, I thought it was pretty factual. They really dealt with the danger of sharks and uh, and uh, and the seriousness of it. But in the later years, it's been taken over by all these environmental fruitcakes, and they're basically uh, painting the sharks out as the endangered species, and uh, and that the shark has more to fear from man than man has to fear from sharks. And I just I don't descri- uh, uh, subscribe to that visual. Not really, uh, it's, it's, it's dangerous. It's well, setting a dangerous precedent. Well, and, and I, taken over by a lot of uh, scientists. One of the things that 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 I I tend to agree with you on that fact is that there seems Kevin and I see it all summer long. There are tons of sharks. I mean, there are. Oh, it's ridiculous. It is. We take people out all the time. You'll take people from all over the country as a, as a charter boat captain. And the first thing they want to ask you a lot of times if they're from Tennessee or Indiana or Ohio, anywhere in the country, and they go, you guys have sharks? And we go, oh, yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's, that's, it's a, a that's a chip shot. That's yeah. a chip shot for us. And they go, well, where can we go see them? We go, well, you see that shrimp boat over there? We're going to run over there, and we're going to throw a dead anything in the water. But we don't tell them that. We tell them we're going to throw a dead croaker or a dead spot or a dead pogey or a menhaden. You throw it in the water, and bada-bing, bada-boom. To us, there are plenty of sharks. That's a bunch of crap about they're going extinct. Well, basically, the Florida Fish and Game Commission is uh, declaring open season on bathers, as far as I'm concerned, with all the protection that they're doing. Really? I, well, I mean, look, look at the numbers. Well, 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 you know, hey, we all, all three of us, fish real, very close to the beach and what we're talking about here are these bait pods. And, Bill, holy cow, we're, you know, within, you can read the letters on somebody's sunglasses and you're fishing a bait pod that's got a hundred sharks in it. I mean, we, we, it's, any dummy can tell you there's no shortage of sharks. Anyway, we got to take a break. And, and because this is really interesting to me and, and Captain Bill, we come back, want to talk about some of the real dangerous sharks along our coast all around the country because, uh, you did hand to hand battle with yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, and folks, it's Captain Bill Goldschmidt, the author of the book Shark Man of Cortez. A phenomenal read. Uh, I can't put it down. And more with Captain Bill right after this on the Hot Life Outdoor Show. After squatting it out all afternoon, I have finally accepted that no turkey of any kind lives within a mile of where I'm sitting. Time to pack it in. And just in time to get a text from Joe. He's wrapping it up, too, with tags filled. Ouch. But as I throw in the towel, it hits me. In just 30 minutes, I'll be back at camp. We'll all settle in, kick back, talk about the day, cheer our successes, and cheer our failures. 
best thing is, we'll do it all with a spirit of friendship and fellowship. It's the fellowship of hunters everywhere, safely home from the hunt. Without a doubt, this is The Hunt Life. If you're living The Hunt Life too, it's time you tell the world about it, even if it is a little chilly outside. Check out the online store at HuntLife.com for our ultra-warm hooded sweatshirt, fleece vest, and knit cap. This winter, show everyone you're living the hunt life. Visit HuntLife.com today. You want to get really close to critters this fall? Then you'll have to try all-new Breakup Infinity from Mossy Oak. Six layers of detail give it great depth of feel. Twelve years of research give it unequaled, effective design. Together, they represent the most dramatic, high-tech leap in the history of camo. Check it out in stores or online at mossyoak.com. Breakup Infinity from Mossy Oak, America's number one camo pattern just got better. Let fish and wildlife biologist Scotty Brown's 25 years of experience work for your property with Southern Sportsman Aquatics and Land Management. They help landowners on developing and managing properties where recreational fishing and or hunting is the priority. Their lake management services include fish population sampling, electrofishing, water analysis, vegetation establishment or reduction, lake design or renovation, and long-term management strategies for your water body's future. Southern Sportsman Aquatics and Land Management installs and repairs aeration systems, fountains, fish and game feeders, and their own design, Forever Tree Fish Attractors. They're experts in keeping small public water bodies and retention ponds in housing developments and golf courses working properly. So if you're looking to improve your property's aquatic resources, call Scotty Brown at Southern Sportsman Aquatics and Land Management at 214-383-3223. That's 214-383-3223. I've been a member of the Federation for 18 years. The Federation stands for good stewardship of the resources and preserving our hunting heritage. Through those efforts, I want my kids to be able to enjoy the same privilege that I have. My father joined the Federation for me, and I've done the same for my children. Jakes, women in the outdoors, and wheeling sportsmen, they want to be the best conservation organization in the world. And now, back to the Hunt Life Outdoor Show. And welcome back with me, Jeff Lagerman, and the captains, Kevin Faber, Kirk Waltz, and our special guest, Captain Bill Goldschmidt, who has penned a book called Shark Man of Cortez, and really a great read, folks. I recommend it highly. And uh, Captain Bill, on the back cover of the book, it says, Learn the truth about sharks from a man whose livelihood depended on them. And we hear so much on these uh, Shark Week things, and they talk about shark attacks, and certainly in our waters we have tigers and bulls and i guess there's mako sharks somewhere around and of course the great white which you uh hammerheads hammerheads uh what is the truth about these sharks that we consider dangerous well really uh i found that uh uh, early in my career as i would catch uh, uh sharks on my long line uh i found that the biggest sharks the really uh uh 12 1500 pound sharks uh I was catching, I caught them within a mile of the beach, not really far offshore. And uh, actually, the more uh, long lines, I would catch more sharks offshore, but they were more in a, a, a smaller range. And uh, I worked with uh, one particular scientist, uh, a guy named Stuart Springer. He's passed on now, but uh, he was uh, uh, 
one of the few, actually one of the only scientists that I had any respect for, because he actually went out on boats, uh, commercial fishing boats from Mexico to Cuba and the United States, and he did a lot of studies on this. And what he had told me was that these sharks that I was catching, these large sharks that I was catching inshore were what they called, well, actually I called them bank loafers. He called them rogues. But he said if you really look at them, they're, they're usually weaker, weaker, they're injured, they usually have some sort of a da- a damage to their fins or something, and they've really gotten old, and they've fallen out of the pattern with the other sharks uh, to, uh, to be competitive, uh, to, to feed on tarpon and, uh, and jacks and, and, and such. And so uh, that's why they move in close to shore. And uh, uh, also uh, Dr. V.M. Copelson from Australia, he did a study on this uh, with uh, extensive study on shark attacks in Australia, and he found, again, that these sharks, these shark attacks were the result of uh, very large, older sharks that were attacking humans uh, close to shore. So basically that's, that's how it's come about. That's what it really is. Uh, these, uh, not with the exception of bull sharks. Uh, bull sharks are, uh, are very close to shore. They're a, a, a predominant species in, in shore, and they do feed a lot near uh, the passes and everything where people are uh, likely to, to be frequent, and uh, they don't have to be old. They're, a bull shark is just a damn awful shark anyway. They have a, a very nasty disposition, and, uh, and uh, you know, so they, they're, they're, they're a very dangerous shark. <laughs> Here's here's something interesting too, Captain Bill. Um, and and I, and I literally have been fishing in the ocean since I was ten. I'm I'm 46 this month, and in all of my years of fishing offshore, I mean, it, and, and I'm talking a lot of days. I it, up until two years ago, I had seen one tiger shark in my life, one, and and in the last two years. I don't know how many I've seen, and I'm talking in the uppers of of 20 to to 30 tiger sharks. You know, anywhere from most of my fishing is is within, you know, uh, 500 yards of the beach to 12 miles offshore. Have they always been there, and I've just missed them? I mean, why is it all? No, no, it's getting so it's getting so hectic now that some of these young kids here uh, in our area, the the shark fish. uh, they do the catch and release thing. That's what they're pushing now. The ecos are pushing the catch and release, which is but the bottom line is uh, they're catching ten and eleven foot tiger sharks off of Anna Maria, right off the beach, uh, which uh, at one time was pretty much unheard of. But uh, the bottom line is there's been no commercial uh, shark fishing for two decades in Florida. It's almost okay. non-existent, and so consequently we're just uh, we're, we're getting more and more sharks. And the bottom line is uh, you've got an agenda that, that the, you guys have to try and understand. The, the agenda today is, uh, is PETA, Humane Society, right. uh, uh, everything. So, uh, you know, there, I mean, my God, we've got 14 species of sharks in Florida, of which uh, the Fish and Game Commission has now put 12 of them on the uh, endangered species list, which you guys already know are not endangered. I mean, uh, right. uh, open your eyes. My God, just open your eyes. I mean, uh I just read an article here recently in the newspaper uh, by NOAA uh, about their fish stocks, and they're going to re, uh, readjust their thinking. But they, I, I couldn't believe that they openly, on the, in the news, openly admitted their flaws of, of, of how they uh, come, come about these fish stocks uh, with telephone, telephone surveys and mail surveys. 
my God, they don't even talk to the guys that really know. Of course, it, it wouldn't fit in with their agenda, you know? Hmm. I mean, that's what I'm talking about, about the lobbyists. Everything's got to be protected now. Well, I mean, my God, did you see in the uh, article in the paper recently about the uh, killer whale? Uh, uh, PETA wants to uh, uh, get killer whales that are in these uh, aquariums at SeaWorld that are released and stuff. I mean, that's, that's what's happening, folks. Well, Captain Bill, uh, we are certainly very familiar with the flaws in the Magnuson-Stevenson Act, and we've been dealing with that with a lot of species that we have offshore. But I want to take you back in time a little bit because most people's experience, because we've got a lot of listeners that are inland, you know, 22 markets across the country, and a lot of people aren't near coastal waters. Their experiences with sharks have consisted of watching the movie Jaws, and you kind of had a brush with the movie Jaws when you were in Florida at an early age. You know, uh, are you talking about the tiger shark that was caught in the, in the film or what? Yeah, yeah, there was. I remember reading a part in your book where uh, they were actually, one of the guys from the movie was down there and tried to find you to have you catch a live shark for the movie Jaws. Well, they didn't want a live shark. What they wanted was a very large shark for a scene where uh, the fishermen go out and they try to catch this killer shark and these fishermen bring back a... Uh, large shark and unfortunately everything up there was blue shark so they came down here to florida to get a, 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 a to purchase a large shark from one of the fishermen and uh, i guess uh, my reputation they they zeroed in on me but i was down in the keys a, uh, a fellow named uh, brian martell actually ended up catching the shark he got he got paid the two grand that i could have got snake but uh, yeah, they uh, he, he charged them a thousand dollars for the shark, and then they uh, paid another thousand to have it crated up and jetted back up there to to uh, the, the Martha's Vineyard to film that scene. Yeah, well, was that the shark? Mm-hmm. And have you 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 saw the movie? I'm sure, right, Bill? Uh, yeah, I eventually got talked into going to it. Was that the scene? Was that the shark in the scene where the, they're trying to catch the man eater, and then all of a sudden these guys come back and we got it, we got it. When they're, when they're throwing That's explosions. It. That was a Florida tiger shark caught off the Fiesta Key. I'll be darned. How about that? Wow. Now look, you you elate into this about how shark attacks could be prevented. We talk about it on this show a lot. What's your take on that? Well, you know, the bottom line is, uh, you know, common sense is, 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 is helpful. It goes a long way. But the bottom line is if a, if a shark is intent on, uh, on, uh, attacking, uh, that, that's going to happen. And obviously we live in a state that, that depends on tourism. So we're going to, I mean, my God, when I used to have my brochures, I would put them in the, uh, the, uh, you know, lobbies of a lot of hotels. Well, as soon as I'd walk out, they'd take them out and throw them in the trash. Uh, you know, uh, it's not it's not good for tourism to to broadcast this, but uh, but uh, yeah, they're dangerous. Uh, I really resent it uh, when when uh, these eco people try to talk like the the uh, the uh, a shark attack is uh, less likely than getting hit in the head with a falling coconut. Well, go to the parents of little Jamie Dagler or, or some of these little young shark attack victims and tell them that. I mean. Uh, it's a whole different. It's a whole different ball game, guy. Well, if you ever saw Captain Bill, City. Captain Bill, we we got to take a break. Uh, we come back. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up with you. And then and, and uh, folks, this is Captain Bill Goldschmidt, the author of Sharkman of Cortez, the book. You can Google it, get it at Amazon, get it at his website, SharkmanofCortez.com, and we'll be back right here with the Hunt Life Outdoor Show with Captain Bill Goldschmidt, Sharkman of Cortez. 
As a hunter, we all know that perfect morning. You wake up early before the sun, you have a cup of coffee, grab some snacks, and start towards your stand. You have waited for this morning all year. The wind's perfect, the temperature's just right, and the bucks are in full rut. You sit in the dark, straining your ears for any little noise. The sun finally starts to filter through the trees, then it happens. A doe comes by you on a fast trot. You immediately clip your release to your bow because you know he is coming. You hear a loud grunt and see antlers. It's a buck, a big buck. You stand up trying not to concentrate on the antlers. Your hands are shaking. You can't control the trembling in your knees. You draw the bow back, praying the buck continues down the trail. But as big bucks do, he turns. Your heart sinks. You have a decent shot, but not one you're comfortable with. You decide to let him go. Even though you're disappointed, you can't help but think just how cool that was. The folks at Hunt Life, they know how you feel. That's why they started Hunt Life, so we can share our outdoor experiences with each other. If you know this feeling, visit HuntLife.com, because Hunt Life knows it's all about the outdoor experience. America's number one camo pattern just got better. All new Breakup Infinity from Mossy Oak. Six layers of detail give it great depth of feel. Twelve years of research give it unequal, effective design. Together, they break up Hunter's outline like never before. Check it out in stores or online at mossyoak.com. Break up infinity for Mossy Oak. It's not a passion, it's an obsession. We know the future of hunting depends on our nation's youth. But did you know that in many states, it's illegal for you to take your son or daughter hunting until the age of 12 or even older? As a result, we have fewer young hunters, and the Families of Field program is designed to eliminate those barriers. Hunting is safe, and the safest hunters of field are young people with adult mentors. Visit our website at familiesoffield.org to find out how you can bring more families afield. And now, back to the Hunt Life Outdoor Show. Uh, it's been a great show, and, and it's been fantastic. And, uh, Captain Bill Goldschmidt, uh, Bill, we'd like to thank you for coming on. Uh, love your book. I hope you think about doing a second book uh, because I've been so entertained by the Shark Man of Cortez. And and uh, Bill, correct me if I'm wrong. If if people buy the book from the website SharkManofCortez.com, uh, you will personally autograph it. Is that correct? Yeah, we sign it, and I put a little drawing of a shark, uh, kind of my artistic uh, rendition. And uh, uh, any thoughts of doing a second one? Yeah, I'm planning on going out to Australia and Africa and killing some great whites that are eating people, and uh, <laughs> hopefully I can do it before Peter gets there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Bill, hey, Bill. Bill, thank you so much. It's been a great show, and uh, more importantly, thank you for the book, because I really have. I mean, this this is a must-read for fishermen, no matter where you live. Yeah. Thank well, you, Bill. it's been a pleasure talking to the outdoorsman. Thank you, Bill. Take yeah. care. See you, buddy. Awesome. I'm I'm not joking. This book is fantastic, and you guys feel the same way. Oh yeah, thoroughly enjoyed enjoying it, and uh, and I'm you can see where I'm at in the book about three quarters of the way I'm through. Exact, about the exact same spot. Well, folks that were raised in that era, and and I know that when I was young, growing up, you know, we had comic books. We read the Superman, the Green Lantern, but we also read books that if you lived on a coastal community, tales of adventure. Yep. You wanted to, that's right, Jeff. You, you wanted to read something about somebody's life that was, you know, Zane Gray and all that. But, but can I ask you this? Seriously, Kurt, 
How many nights have you spent on the beach shark fishing? And, and, and I'm talking about from the time you were 10 years old and, and, until you were probably 35. We did it. I don't know. When I lived in Cocoa, we did it a lot. Dude, I, I, I've spent numerous, numerous, numerous yeah. nights shark fishing on the beach. I mean, sitting out it's there with It's one of the most hair. intriguing things I grew up with. So this show today really hit home with the me. Other one, the one question that, that I wanted to ask him, have you ever been bit? And I'm reading three quarters of the way through the book so far, and, and he hasn't he, been he, bit he, yet. Yeah. And uh, I got about a quarter of the way to go to find out if he's ever been bit. So, folks, if you want to get the book, go to sharkmanofcortez.com. And, and I'm, I can't wait to see book number two. Yeah. Well, let book me tell number you what, one is good. Having been bit once, it only takes once to learn that you don't ever want to get bit again. Yeah. You know. One don't, time. Don't mess with them. Yep. No. Kevin no, and I no, talk no. about it all the time. We catch I, them all I've the time. Been, I've been really, really hurt one time. Don't it, mess yep. with them. Because they will. That was it. If, you, if you mess around with Yeah, but car. you guys are messing with three and four footers. It's, he's catching live 12 and 14 footers. Can you imagine? I mean, no. getting out and no. walking yeah, in no, knee no, deep no. water I, I, with a shark like I would that. Absolutely do it. <laughs> I would love to do it. He's a wild I, man. Yeah, and folks, yeah. just, just one thing. Uh, this is not a book for, uh, children to read. No, it is not. No, it's uh, got some, uh, it, like, expletives he, in it. He, uh, you know, that, that's what he is. Yeah. I mean, it, so just kind of remember that. Yeah. It's, it's a little R-rated. Yeah. Thanks yeah, again yeah. to, uh, Captain Bill Goldschmidt, the author of Shark Man of Cortez. And, uh, well, that was a good show and he's fantastic. a character now. Yeah. We'll talk to everybody same time, same place next week right here with Hunt Life Outdoor Show. Thank you for listening to the Hunt Life Outdoor Show. Be sure to check out the very latest in the Hunt Life by logging on to HuntLife.com. The Hunt Life Outdoor Show is a product of Hunt Life Productions. Copyright 2012.